0: To me, the terms are interchangeable, and um, I think that needs to be our perspective. So you can imagine that I'm like I'm I'm on cloud nine with all this discipleship talk, and um, I'm super excited to preach this morning. And so I need you to be very ready uh, with notebook in hand. If you did not get notes. Uh, the notes in this case, I don't usually do notes, right? I don't usually do fill-in-the-blank business. If you have not gotten the notes, they're going to be crucial in this case uh, because there's a lot there um, that you wouldn't have time to write down otherwise. So you want to have as much uh, already done for you as possible and to keep you on task. Um, yeah, yeah, that's on. It's on. So I'm going to pray and then uh, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to talk about. Um. about discipleship. Discipleship. While you're praying, can I have your mic? Dis- discipleship. Yeah. Thank you. Dear <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. And uh, God, we've got a lot to cover in a very short period of time, but I do not want it, uh, that fact to get in the way of your Holy Spirit. and um, and, and so, Lord, the things that are being conveyed um maybe initially may seem to some as though th- these are the ABCs and um, and maybe we're tempted uh, to to uh, despise the ABCs uh, not intentionally but to think that we're beyond that um, but Lord all all words are formed by the ABCs and and uh, And so by these basic truths are the foundations of our entire faith. And there is no eschatology and there is no there is no prophetic word and there is no uh, uh, pictures and types and and mysteries of scripture and, and seven baptisms. And there's none of these things don't exist if there's not first salvation and discipleship. If there isn't a way by faith, there is nothing else. And so, God, I pray that we would renew our hearts, that we would once again desire the first fruits and allow the rest of our lives to be informed by the, by the, the basic truth of salvation and sanctification. Help us, God, to see that this morning in your son's name. Amen. amen. Are we good? Yeah. Woo! Yep. We're great. Let's do it. Um, let me say this first. Uh, you know. Discipleship isn't very valued in the church today, okay? So I don't know, uh, for those of you who maybe have only ever grown up in this family of churches, um, or maybe, perhaps, uh, you've grown up in other churches and this is fairly new to you, um, no matter where you're at, um, I want to say that I know that for a lot of us, discipleship is a fairly, maybe, new or something we take for granted. We don't understand it contextually, so let me say this. Discipleship in churches, people talk about discipleship. It's kind of a hip word. You get on Facebook and people are talking about discipleship. And for churches, a lot of times it's a fairly, it's a new thing. Like this is a new conversation for a lot of churches. And, um, and that really surprises me. When we talk about discipleship as though it's like the new thing. You know, Christianity has like these movements. Like, and, uh, and, and it's like pop. Uh, to be talking about discipleship. And a lot of people are coming out with books uh, about uh, discipleship. And, bro, I've been doing discipleship. All right? This is no new thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: this has been around me. This isn't new. Right, right. And, 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 and here's the thing. Now, let me just give you some, some, some history here. Uh, there's, a, there's a time period in the church that we often refer to as the Philadelphia time period. And it's 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 this the last gener- great generation of Christians uh, that spread the gospel throughout the world. We often refer to them as the Philadelphia Age. I won't get into the breakdown of that. But but what the, what's, what happened during that time period is there was a huge movement towards evangelism, and really people all over the world were getting saved in masses. I mean, uh, holy men were preaching. The simple truths of the Bible and thousands of people would get saved. And oftentimes we talk about Billy Graham, for those of you who know who Billy Graham is. And we refer to him as kind of the remnant of the Philadelphian age, the last great Philadelphian preacher. And during that time period, a a guy would get in the pulpit. And this is just where at least the Western world and even parts of the East were. That if you just simply preached the gospel, it was enough the Holy Spirit moved in such a way it was enough for thousands of people to get saved. Millions of people were saved during this time period that we refer, refer to as the Philadelphian age. Now, coming out of that, we come into what we refer to as the Laodicean church age. And this church age is marked by the fact that we are slack and lazy. And I want to... I, I've, I've written in journal about this a little bit, and I'm only just beginning to articulate like historically what this means, but, but, but somewhere along the way... Uh, near the end of the Philadelphian age, what we see is all of these people getting saved, but people not getting what we refer to as disciples. People weren't being invested in the deeper truths of Scripture. People weren't being, you know, people would get saved and they'd be kind of left to the devices of, of, of really large churches. And they weren't being guided along in a mentorship capacity the way Jesus Christ and even Paul modeled it for us. And so, you know, the beauty of the Philadelphian age is that is that millions of people were saved the sad part of the Philadelphian age is that as we come into the end of it people weren't being discipled and what we're left with now today is the residue of that we have a church that wholly believes in evangelism but we believe that because we're saved that that's enough now want to I'm going to do an illustration I don't usually do things like this but I'm going to need helpers i'm going do I'm going to do a uh, a little demonstration here and so I need two people to represent two types of Christians, okay? And so I'm going to ask Eric Phillips to come up here. And I need Brian Bustos to come up here. Okay? These two are going to represent for us two different types of Christians, okay? Um, Eric is going... You come over here on my right hand. Why does he get to be on your right hand? Um, okay <laughs> So, so Eric is going to represent for us A, a wholly devoted Christian oh, man. Okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who His heart is towards evangelism And he has a heart for evangelizing the lost And so, everywhere he goes He's preaching the gospel And he's drawing people into his church Okay, now Um on, on, over here, we've got Brian, and Brian's heart is also for, for evangelism. Okay, now the difference is, is that, that Brian's heart is also towards discipling. Okay? <laughs> now, now, what, what we're going to see is, is an example of, of the difference that discipleship can make. Okay? So, go evangelize one person and, and draw them into your church. Go grab one and bring them up to the front. You're, you're a little bit slow to evangelize. I thought you told him to go. No, do you it. too. <laughs> oh, um. both of you, go go find a lost soul. Okay, they're going out. They're preaching the gospel. I love. That, I love that he just evangelized <laughs> Okay, okay. So so here we are. These two, these two guys have come to know Christ. They've been, they've been saved from their sins and praise God. We can rejoice, right? Can we rejoice? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Now, now what's going to happen is Brian is going to disciple Deacon. Now, now Eric might instill in Lon a heart to, to disciple. I mean to evangelize, but not, but he doesn't hasn't instilled in him a heart to disciple. Okay? And so because he's not discipled, he's not going to have the same heart to evangelize. He hasn't been brought up. He's a weak believer. Okay, sorry, sorry. He's a weaker. He's a weaker believer, and he doesn't. He's not going to have the same fervency because Eric hasn't pressed his life into Lon. You understand? And so, what we have here is another is, is a situation where where Lon's not equipped. Now, in this case, Eric, because he's an evangelist, is going to go out and dis, and to uh, and evangelize again. But in this case. Brian has replicated himself, and so both of them are going to go evangelize the lost, and they're boi- both going to bring someone up. Ready? Go. Go. Hello. My about Jesus. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You're not gonna disciple a girl, but we won't get into that. <laughs> I just want to mess up everything. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Someone else, some other woman in the church will disciple her. Okay. okay. So, are you? You're already beginning. You guys are in college, so you understand algebra, right? Kind of. Oh. Yeah.
1: You know basic math. Like, I mean, you learn know this in elementary like, No. <laughs> okay.
0: So just look. Look at the illustration so far. So see what's happening now. Eric, again, Eric, go evangelize. You guys have all been disciples, and you've got a heart for the world, and you've got a heart for the mission. Go evangelize. Everyone bring someone up. Come on, Gabe. Come Some are going to the uttermost. Look, Deacon's going to the uttermost. <laughs> for telling me about Okay. It. Now, now I want you to see, okay, we're not going to do it this we're running out of space. Do you see the difference here? Okay. So I haven't even I mean we've been talking about like doctrinally how the whole New Testament is basically about this concept of investing the truth into the people that we evangelize, the people that have come to know the Lord. We we invest truth in them at a deeper level so that they are more sanctified and more prepared to give an answer uh, for the joy that's in them, right? And that's what these people are doing. Now, look at what happens to the church. Now, even if this process takes longer, and it slows down evangelism a bit, in time, even if he was working at a rate twice the speed of Brian right? You getting this? You stay with me? Now I'm throwing it all... This is like getting the calculus. <laughs> Even if he's working at twice the rate of Brian, in time, this has a greater impact on our world. This is what discipleship is, is multiplication. Okay, now, thank you guys. Awesome. Good job. Let's give our people... So our very first blank is this: evangelism alone is an incom- incomplete commission. Now some of us aren't even very good at evangelism. That's a whole other—that's a whole nother message. Okay. Our primary objective uh, is to seek and save the lost. Um, but the commission is incomplete. Okay. If we don't also disciple. Okay. So evangelism and discipleship. Is how God uses Christians in the world. That's how he uses us. Okay? So evangelism alone is incomplete. We must invest. We must invest time. We must invest energy. We must invest knowledge. We must model. Okay? This is what we're called to do. And most of the evangelical church okay, uh, does not understand this. And that's why even when they, they do hear, start hearing about discipleship, their philosophy and methodology behind it a lot of times stinks. Okay? And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of people would say that this alone, like what I'm doing right now with you, is sufficient for discipleship. Okay? Now, at some level, preaching and teaching like this is a form of discipleship. All right? But the model that's given to us from even from Christ and from Paul is a much more intimate setting. And it's a higher level of accountability. and so that's the way that we function. And so last week we began discussing uh, the four goals of discipleship. And we talked about this, and, and, and can't even hit on it today, is that these four goals, they're not just arbitrary goals, they're modeled for us in Scripture, okay? And what they do is they give us a qualitative uh, way of understanding whether or not someone has successfully been invested in. So we can look at their life and say if these, these things are true, they have been successfully brought up in the Word. Okay? These four things are markers for us. And these are the things that we want to instill in our disciples. Okay? And so the message that we're preaching is twofold. It's for A, it's for those of you who are discipling, you're already doing this work, you need to recognize those markers again, anew. And we're going to try to give you some tools along the way that help you recognize when those things are actually being achieved, and, and help you to better instill these truths into the people that you're investing in. And for those of you who aren't being or who aren't being discipled, or have not yet begun this process of growth and development, or it's still new to you, what we want you to recognize is just how crucial these truths are for your life. Okay, so it's twofold. Are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> I noticed in worship you guys were a little flat-footed. A little bit. I mean, those songs were pretty powerful. Yeah? yeah? And, and you just you just didn't... They had it. And some of you just didn't have it this morning. And maybe it's because you're wrestling with something today. Maybe there's something heavy on you. Maybe it was a hard week. Uh, maybe you were still, like, writhing in pain from Kenny's message. <laughs> okay? But let's pray one more time. Um... Before we get into it. Can we do that? We need the Holy Spirit right now. Heavenly Father, uh, please be with us. Bless this time. Help us to focus in. We need you. Uh, We need to believe this. Because a Christian life is incomplete. Unless we grab hold of what our purpose is. We need you God. In your son's name. amen. Amen. So, by way of review. Last week we covered the first goal. And that's to be established in worship. When we define worship. By our position and our posture in relation to our Creator. Now, that's very broad, and so we broke it down a little bit. And what we mean is, by, by uh, position, who we are in relation to who God made us to be, okay? And our posture, what that demands of us within our heart and within our lives in terms of how we react to God. A, a life of worship is, uh, uh, is devoted to Posturing and positioning one's life in a proper way in light of who the creator is to them. And that has to happen inside of you, in the intimacy of your heart towards God. But also ha- has to happen in action, and in deed, and in work. And one has to come first. If you're not right with God in your heart, then the byproduct and the function of your life is not going to be right. You're not going to be performing and serving the Lord the way that you should. Okay? And so, and so worship is crucial in the life of the believer. And everyone who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ should have a heart for worship. And so we broke that down a little bit. So worship is first about attributing worth to God. All right? And I think all the blanks are here. Okay? And so we can skim through this and you don't even have... Look, they're up there. You don't even have to think about them. You can just ignore everything I'm saying now because you've got the blank filled in. Okay? No, worship is about worth. It's about attributing value to God. Do you value God and on what level? At what level do you value God? Um, You know, we are limited. as human beings. Okay, just like the earth. The earth is limited in its resources, right? We are in, in the process of depleting it of its resources. We all recognize that, right? Call it whatever you want. But it is having negative impact to destroy entire mountains. Is that not for this message? Can I not say that? If you destroy a mountain and it is no longer there, right? That has an impact on the earth. Right. In, in time, if we comp- continue to deplete the resources, there won't be anything left. That's just how it goes. It's limited. We are too, human beings, are limited in our resources. We have a certain amount of time, energy, life to devote. Now here's the deal. As far as giving God proper worship, the way that we steward the resources of our life reflects what we truly believe about who God is. And if you're holding back resources, if you're investing some resources in valuing God, and and our, our worth to God is, you know, there, it's present, but it's not whole, because we're holding some back for worldly endeavors, For our career. For our job. For our family. In a way that is selfish. And we're investing somewhere else. Well that robs God of something. So worth is very important to worship. And we have to recognize that. Worship also requires a sacrificial perspective. And we looked at that from Genesis chapter 22. What are you willing to give up? Along the way. When God calls upon you to give something up. Are you willing to do that? Now. Now. We talked about this, like, for now, that might look like you putting away the PlayStation 4 and putting it in the closet. It might be that simplistic. It might be that simple. That you're like, in order for me to devote my heart rightly, I have to stop watching YouTube videos for hours on end. And so I'm going to stop doing that. That's That's a baby step. But what you don't understand is that that baby step, for you, might be very difficult. At the same level that it's difficult for someone like the Fives to decide to do what they did by moving to the Middle East. At some point, James was making decisions in his life that looked like, um, I'm going to stop devoting so much time to entertainment. And then you fast forward a decade and a half later, and he's like, God, you're worth everything. I'm going to get in a plane, and I'm going to fly to another place in the world, and I'm going to live there and sacrifice everything. It's the same decision. Do you understand? It's the same decision making, and it's all about what you're willing to give up. If you're not willing to give up your PlayStation Four, you are not willing to go across the room and witness. You're just, you're probably not that person. So we have to understand that learning to worship is about being willing to give things up. Worship is also set up, about being set apart. Okay. God God does not want, um, if you're not willing to be holy, then you don't really have much to offer God. If you're not willing to deal with your carnality and deal with your sin and repent of, of wickedness, then God doesn't have much for you on the agenda. You understand? And so if you want to worship God rightly, you have to be willing to deal with things in your life that some of us in this room, quite frankly, haven't been ready to deal with at this point. If you want to call yourself a disciple of Christ, if you want to be a person of worship, then you have to recognize that you can't be like the others. You have to be set apart. Carnality is not an option for you. And it's about counting that cost. Lastly, we said that worship is communal. and We see this model for us throughout the entire Bible. People that worship God do it together. And that's going to become more important as we continue on in the stu- study of the four goals. Is that doing things together, worshiping together, is crucial. Like, you know what we do when, we're, when, we're doing, when we come together and worship like we just did. We're doing a lot of things. We're learning. We're setting our heart. We're ascribing value. We're ascribing our affections towards God. But we're also rattling our sabers, if you will. Okay? And what I mean by that is when we come together, there's a, there's a part for which your voice and your voice and your voice and your voice coming together and making that sound together in harmony and you lifting your arms to God together makes a very unique thing happen. When you leave this place, you don't feel alone, do you? You might be physically alone, but you know that your other brothers and sisters in Christ have your same heart. And that's why being together and and worshiping together in community is crucial because God never intended us to do this alone. We need one another. And that means worshiping together. That means when the the plate is passed in main service, all of us are doing our part together in community. That means when we're singing, we're together, we're all singing. That means when we're serving together, we're all serving. Because God never intended that we worship alone. Community is crucial for worship. Are you with me? So that's the review. You ready to move forward? Let's do it. So worship starts in our heart. It starts in our spirit. But we must realize that true worship can only be done in light of the truth of who God is and in light of his revelation. Which leads us to the next point. We must be, as believers, we must be established in the word of God. Okay, John 4.23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. In other words, if you are just relying on singing together, right? For you to get to a place where you're ascribing the right value to God, it's not going to happen. You need the truth of God's Word to inform your life in order for your worship to be right. We need the Bible. We need His truth. And so to be established in the Word of God is central to a lifestyle of faith. Every other goal, listen to me, every other of the four goals are reliant on this one. Every other goal is informed by one's willingness to seek the face of God in His Word. And the bread, the sustenance of God's words, keep us moving forward, walking as believers in this world. It's the only thing that will sustain us moving forward. Otherwise, we will be quickly depleted, and we will fall, fall away. That is, that's what will happen. We need the word. It is our sustenance. It keeps us going. So our key point is as follows. If a disciple is not meditating on God's words, then it will be evident in all the other goals. All the other goals that we talk about, it will be, it will be clear to the disciple, to the one mentoring, to the one teaching, to the one instilling truth. It will be evident to them that this one thing isn't happening. Because all of the other goals, whether it be your fellowship, whether it be uh, your, uh, your participation in ministry, whether it be your worship, they will all be, they're all a byproduct of whether or not one is continuing to seek God's face in his word. This is crucial, disciples, disciples. You have, to, you, you have to be looking. Look, if you're, if you're seeing that someone is struggling with their worship, or they're struggling to gather with the believers in fellowship, the truth is at the end of the day, they're not seeking God on their own. They're not going to his scriptures to find his face. So without seeing the value of God's word, the process of discipleship is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You won't, if they don't ever get that God's word is the most important thing in this world then they will not finish discipleship. And they will keep struggling with the things that they're struggling with. And they will not move forward, and the process will be stunted. So the value of God's word is crucial. And we discussed this at All Church Retreat. So I'm going to review this point a little bit. You know, God uses the phrase, my name, 174 times in scripture. My name. Right? God values his name greatly. Doesn't he? His own name is power. We we sang about it today. His name is power. The name of Jesus Christ does something. It does something for me. Like, you know, we can talk about a lot of things, but if we start talking about Jesus, I'm done. It 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 really it 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 undoes me. I I I fall apart. I melt. I become a puddle. Jesus Christ and His name, His very name, Jesus, carries so much truth just in that name. So much love, so much sacrifice, so much devotion. And I, and I feel it in His name, in the very power of His name. And God values His name. So much so that He, he says my name so often. He says things in, in like Psalm 124.8, He says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Yeah, what's in a name? Man, help is in a name. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Philippians 2, 10 says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. One day, whether it's in this life or the next, Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. But God also makes it absolutely clear that the words contained in this book are of greater value than the name of Jesus. You know why though? You know why? Because this is his mind. This is Christ's mind. What's greater than the name of Christ? The mind of Christ. Psalms 138, 1 and 2 says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for for thy loving uh, loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Right? You guys remember hearing that at all church retreat? Now what I'm getting at is that if we don't ascribe proper value to the words of God, then we are totally defrauding the name of Christ. Does that make sense to you? The byproduct of not valuing his mind is to not value his name. So don't act like you love Jesus if you don't love his word. Do you understand? And how are we going to possibly instill into the lives of our disciples a love for Jesus Christ, if we do not teach them the words and teach them to value the words and teach them to hold the words and to wake up to the words and go to sleep to the words and to study the words and to preach the words. Without the words, there's nothing because there's no authority and there's no name of Jesus if there isn't first a power in the word. So it's crucial. And so this leads us to our next key point. The Bible informs every aspect of our humanity and should be cherished above all things on earth. I mean, what else are you going to value besides the word? Like, it has, to, if, if God gave us words, if God wrote us a letter, and he gave us words, what could possibly be greater than those words? What are you going to come up with? I mean, you might, like, work hard at it, please. Get back to me. You can't come up with anything greater than that. I mean, even the Holy Spirit that resides within us is subservient to the will of those words. God, alive in me, is submitted to the truth of this book. So work hard at it. This is the most cherished thing in all the earth, is the words of God. Psalm 19, verses 8-11. through 11. We need to be teaching value for the Word. And the question is, outside of the lessons themselves and the innate value that they hold and teaching those lessons, how are you going to model for your disciples the power of God's Word? And so I left for you here some discipleship principles. First of all, when we counsel, which discipleship, that discipleship process is, is a lot of counseling. Okay, so so just show of hands, who's currently being discipled? You're, someone is mentoring you. Okay, are you asking for lots of counsel a lot of the time? Like, do you have questions, life questions, for them? Yes. Okay, so listen to me, disciplers. Recognize this: that every piece of advice you give, every counsel, should be given in light of God's words and should not hold your opinion. Like I'm sure you've got great life opinions and you've got great life advice. But if those words that you share and that counsel that you give is not first informed by God's words, not only is your advice going to be, oh, not as good, but you are also teaching your disciple that you do not need to find truth in God's word, but you can find it in the the advice of other people. And this is a huge problem in the church today. People who call themselves Christians rather pick up a self-help book than read God's words. There's, There's churches all over our city, people who love the name of Jesus, who have what they call Bible studies. Well, actually, they're getting away from that. They know better. Community groups. And what they're doing in those community groups is reading other people's books about how to get victory over their emotions or get victory over, you know, some... You know, egregious sin in their life, or it's a how to be confident, or whatever. And they're reading these books instead of scripture. And this is my point to you if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to teach Christ's word, then the counsel that you give should be informed by the truth of this book. This should be the primary source. And that's how you're going to model for your disciple the value of God's word, is to counsel them from God's word. So they, they're like, oh yeah, every time Brooke ever gave me advice, she started with the Bible. Man. I'm, and that, they will just become that. That's who your disciple will become. The other thing is prayer. Okay? When you pray with your disciple, what does that look like? Okay, well, take this, take this he, heed this. Our prayer life should be informed by what the Bible says prayer should be like. There's like these beautiful models in in Scripture of what prayer should look like over and over again. Paul and Christ, they teach us what prayer is. It's supplication. It's praying without ceasing. It's intercessory. It's thanksgiving. It's praise. It's all these things. And And the beautiful thing is all of that can be informed by God's Word. And so what you do is with your disciple, you find the promises in Scripture, and you pray those back to God. That's modeling for them the value of God's Word. So in your prayer life with your disciple... You can instill the value of God's word by allowing God's word to inform the way that you pray. I pray this way because God's word tells me to. I pray this way because God's promises guide me this direction. And I want to pray his will back to him. Are you guys with me? Man, man, man. Are you with me? Yeah. Small groups are crucial for teaching us to value God's word. So, what you need to do is make sure that you get your disciple in a small group ASAP immediately, right away. Not only for the accountability part, we'll get to that later, but in terms of of teaching them how to handle the book, that's that's a beautiful place to be. In a small group, they learn basic techniques, study techniques. They learn how to compare Scripture with Scripture. They will learn how to find patterns in Scripture. They will learn how to understand context. They will learn how to read types and pictures in Scripture. They will understand basic dispensations just by the fact of you and the people in your small group modeling for them a high value of God's word. They will learn to value God's words. Are you with me? This seems simple. But this is what discipleship is. And if you want your disciple to get a hold of this goal and to make their life about obeying the words of God, then we've got to teach it right. And we've got to do it right. and We've got to live it right. So key point, at the very end here, key point. The evidence of a disciple being established in God's word will be displayed in the fruits of their ministry, the joy of their countenance, and the content of their words. The fruit of their ministry. If they don't value God's word, guess what? That will be borne out in their ministry over time. Because they won't bear fruit. They'll continue to run into a wall. But if you, if you raise someone up to value God's word, and the word comes first, well, the word doesn't come back void. And so there will be fruit. Naturally, there'll be fruit, because the word doesn't come back void. The word is what brings a harvest. The word is the seed. And so if they're putting that out first, then they will bear fruit. The joy of their countenance. God's very words bring us peace. Peace. I'm not going to break that down for us, but we know that. And so the joy of their countenance, their countenance will be altered by how intimate they are with God's words, and you get to hold them accountable to that. And the content of their words, their words will begin to change, just like Kenny talked about today. He became different, okay? He became different over time as he was invested in, and he chose to submit to God's words. He became a different person, and the content of his words changed. and the content of your words will also change. So, that's established in the Word. Let's move on. Are we, are, do we got this? Okay. All right, established Established in the local church. Established the believer in the local church. Okay, when we say local church, uh, uh, Kenny mentioned the words local church. And uh, when we talk about the local church, I want to be very careful here. When we're talking about the local church, what we mean is we're, is we're discussing the structure of the church. There's two different types of, There's one church, okay, but there's two different ways of discussing the structure of the church. The first one is the universal church, okay? The universal church, and the second is the local church. Now, the Bible discusses the universal church in terms of the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. In the world, there are Christians everywhere, aren't there? Now, we don't discount them by emphasizing the local church. Do you understand me? We don't discount the church at large because we focus on the local church. Okay? Like, that's what ca- most Catholics would say that we do, is that we, emphasize, we overemphasize the, the local church. And we de-emphasize the Catholic church. And you know what they're really saying is, listen to the Pope. At the end of the day, really, what they're saying is submit to a governmental structure and let the government of the church at large inform the way you do everything in your life. And that's not the way we see it modeled for us in Scripture. You see, you, you see what I'm saying? See, the Bible discusses the universal terms, uh, the church in terms of the Bride of Christ, the beloved, the church at large, the conglomerate church, everyone on earth that's a believer. Okay, it discusses that, and we see that in Scripture. And I gave you a couple passages there. We see it primarily when we see. God talking about things in in, 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 in very broad terms, um, particularly when we see this idea of the bride of Christ, how he's preparing for him a universal or a Catholic church that one day all of us will be together, unified as one, standing before our bridegroom. Okay? So that's one way of looking at the church. But what we have to understand is that when Paul writes... The, the, the New Testament, when he's writing those epistles, when he's writing those letters, he's writing to local churches in specific places. Okay, and the idea is this, is the local church, the The universal church is only as strong as the local churches are. And if we can get local church right, then the church as a whole will begin to grow and look the way that it should, like the bride that it should look like. When we say local church, we mean the eclectic parts of the universal church spread throughout the world. So there, so there is church in the world. And there's church in our neighborhood. You understand? There's church in the world. And then there's church in our neighborhood. And what we're talking about is church in our neighborhood. And if one wants to be used in the world. They must be fully devoted to their local congregation. Does that make sense to you? So Paul wrote letters to churches. churches. In Corinth for instance. There were many, many house churches. Okay? There are many house churches. You alive? Yeah. I'm talking about house churches. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and in these house churches, there was like maybe 15 people. And then maybe one, another church had 40. And probably as many as 150, because in Corinth we know for a fact that at least a couple churches were meeting. There. There's a discussion of them meeting in, like, in a hall space, so like maybe a large congregational space that, that could maybe hold up to 150 people. And so, and so these little churches, these tiny churches, met in homes. Romans 16.5 talks about that. Colossians 4.15 says, Paul's saying, he says, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and, and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. So there's these churches meeting together in small, tiny congregations coming together for the sake of discipleship. And the model actually looks a lot like living faith, to be honest with you. Because like the church in Corinth, all the small churches would occasionally come together and meet together. Isn't that cool? And we get to do that. We do that with our family of churches. All church retreat and mission focus. That's like what the church in Corinth did. Those small little churches would come together and they'd travel and meet together. Some of them would travel hours by foot to come and meet together occasionally as a large family, just like we do. Isn't that cool? Now, each local church had their own DNA, and that's clear by the letters, isn't it? Corinth wasn't like the church in Rome, and the church in Rome wasn't like the church in Colossae, and the church in Colossae wasn't like the church in Ephesus. They're all different. They all had their own DNA, each their own strengths, each their own weaknesses. But Paul established local churches Didn't he? That was his primary objective, was to go into these cities and raise up small local churches. And the local church is crucial to the way that we see and do church as Midtown Baptist Temple. We believe God uses the local church model to reach the world. That's what we believe. And that's why we talk about planting churches. That's why we talk that way. The local church is a place of unity, love, and fellowship. Okay, so this is our first umbrella. The early local church was a place where people shared life. They came together often. They learned together. They ate together. They praised together. And they had a beautiful testimony together. And they grew. People got saved. Okay, so let's look at this breakdown. The very first thing we see in Acts chapter 2, this is the the baby church. Acts chapter 2, the baby church gets started. And God makes it very clear what was happening in that baby church. Looks like what he wants our church to look like. Okay, so principally it's modeled for us here. So the very first thing when we hear the church being described, it says they they continued daily, and what that means is they met often, daily every day even the church came together and they met together, because they recognized and valued community. They didn't try to go alone. They did it together. They did church together. They met often. And so Acts chapter two verse forty six, and they conti- continuing daily. They met often with one accord. With one accord, that means unity. In one accord, with one voice in the temple. Together. They were single-minded together. Okay, so with one accord, they were unified. And breaking the bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were sharing together. They were sharing life and they were sharing food. And food is important. Bible study leaders, do your, do your Bible studies a favor and have food. Because real fellowship happens over food over and over again. You know what happens? You know what what happens when you go and the judgment seat takes place and you enter into the fullness of of your relationship with Jesus Christ? What's the very first thing that you do? You have a marriage supper. And there'll be, he'll slaughter oxen and we'll eat steak together. I'm not joking. And we will eat like we've never ate before. You know why? Because beautiful fellowship happens over food. It just does. And it's modeled for us even here at the very inklings of the church. They came together. They shared life together. They shared food together. Praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people. All the people in their community recognized their testimony. And it was upright. It was an upright testimony. It was righteous before the people. The lost people around them would would look at them and say there's something right about them. There's something different, there's something unique, there's something right. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People got saved, y'all. People got saved. You know, I was mowing my lawn the other day and I was thinking about the term saved. And how much lots of Christians have neglected, they don't use the word saved anymore. They don't want to use the term saved because it sounds too evangelical. Isn't that disgusting? It's disgusting. Saved is a biblical term. It's a biblical term. People should get saved. Saved from what? Saved from damnation, maybe? I, I think it's fair to call it saved. I think, it's, I think it's fair to call it that. I want to be saved, and other people want to be saved. And in the early church, people got saved. And you know what? It happened because the church looked like this. People wanted a part wanted to be a part of something that looked like this. So, a discipleship principle, mentors will best model this goal of the local church, this idea of the local church, by listen, listen carefully. By inviting the disciple to do anything and everything that the church is doing together. Disciple, you want to instill this truth and this value in the life and establish this in the life of your disciple? Why don't you just invite people along? Anytime the church is getting together. Oh, there's a worship night? Invite invite your disciple, invite everyone you know to come and see what happens on a worship night. And by the way, men, girls do a better job of that than you do. I saw a picture, Taylor sent me a picture of the worship night. And there was about 400 women in about six minutes. <laughs> get it together, guys. People get saved by seeing worship taking place because they see how powerful it is. The gospel is conveyed in worship, in singleness of mind, in unity. When all of you come together in that creepy dark room, did you guys light candles or what was that? Is it a seance? What was that? Come on now. Yeah? You feel like you worship better in the dark? (laughs) But anyway, they come and they see you with hands raised high in singleness of heart and they recognize something different and the gospel takes root. Invite people to be a part of stuff like that. Invite people to come to your Bible study. The the, the greatest place for, for your friends to get evangelized is the context of a Bible study. Nothing more powerful than a bunch of people holding the Bible in their hand and like, I mean only kind of knowing what to do with it, stumbling through it in their weakness, but yet in informing and changing their lives in an instant. Just admit it, you don't know what you're doing with the Bible. God does. God knows what he's doing. And to come together in weakness like that and stand in humility before God's word and your lives be changed, people see that and they want it. Bring your disciple along. If the church is doing something, bring them. It's powerful for them because they recognize in those moments the value of the local church. Without the local church, you cannot grow. Without the structure of the local church laid out for us in 1 Timothy, without pastors and deacons and all of that business, we cannot be who we're supposed to be. God, listen, God made, a, made an army. And that army is broken down into battalions. And we are a battalion. And we take orders from our pastors. And, if, yeah, and, if, and we can't get psyched about that, and we can't submit, and we can't be good soldiers, and we can't see the local church right. Guess what? We're not going to win the world. We're just not going to do it. We have to value the local church. So gathering regularly is important. So here's our key point. Oh, sorry, did I miss something? The disciples should feel the love and accept, accept the investment of knowledge. They should be accepting of the teaching. They should feel the love. Knowledge and and there's feelings. We love feelings. We want feelings to be right. It's good. But they should also be accepting of the truths and the knowledges, uh, the knowledge being instilled. The knowledge is, boy, I'm glad it's not plural in scripture. It's one knowledge. Yeah? The knowledge. So gathering regularly is important. So key point, the church bears fruit by winning souls. Sure, yeah. But it bears the mark of Christ by its unity. Right? The church bears fruit. That's good. That's right. You know, we see that in Acts chapter 22. Or in, in, in Acts, Acts chapter 2. But it bears the mark of Christ by its unity. John chapter thirteen thirty-five. This is what Jesus says. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to, to another. I mean, according to Jesus Christ himself, people will know that you're a follower of Christ by your heart attitude towards other people. So, being together, being together regularly is important. So, key point unity is not possible without proximity. So, listen, there's a level at which I am unified with my brother, Doug Pearson, who is pr- currently in Cambodia and ministering in another part of the world. And I am unified with him in singleness of mind. And there's an aspect for which I'm unified. But in practice, I'm not unified with him. And that's okay. I'm not saying anything bad by that. I'm not unified with him in ministry. I'm not unified with him in terms of the local church because I'm not in proximity to him. And if, and if you want unity, and if you want a model for people, John chapter 13, 35, and you are loved one to another, then you need the structure of the local church. And that means gathering oft. That means coming together regularly, as often as possible. Unity is not possible without proximity. If I'm not getting in people's face, and I'm not loving them face-to-face, physically, then we cannot be here. <laughs> okay? So the local church is crucial because it provides for us the structure to create that proximity and in turn develop unity. To develop that unity. We need proximity. Hebrews 10, 22. Listen, listen. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having Listen listen. how often these, these plural words are used. Let us, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one to another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now listen not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Do not forsake it. When people come together, you come together with them. Right. Yeah. It should pain you a little bit when you can't be at something that everyone else is at. Now, no one's going to condemn you. Okay, You've got a reunion to go to. We get it. It's summertime. you got, you know, your auntie's throwing a reunion in, you know, where, I don't know, Boone, Boonville, Missouri, and you can't make it to the worship night. Well, we'll miss you Here's your family. And we want proximity. No one's going to condemn you. But listen, the, the, the command here in Hebrews is, do not forsake the assembling together. So so when people gather, you should want to be there. You should desire that. You shouldn't find excuses to not be there. If you're finding reasons, oh, I'm not
1: feeling oh, good.
0: <laughs> like, okay, you had diarrhea this morning. You know what? It hasn't happened again since like eight and it's 4 o'clock now. And everybody's getting together down the street at Pookie's house. And so you should be cool. You're cool. We don't have a Pookie in this ministry. I wish we did. Okay? But listen. But people are getting together. And so you don't make an excuse. You're good. You're going to be okay. Take some Tums. Get out of the house. You see what I mean? We need one another. We need to be, when the church gathers together, we should want to be there. The local church. Okay, I'm going to finish up because I'm going over The local church is a place of investment. Attending church faithfully and often ensures growth in our faith. You come, you hear the teaching on a Sunday morning, you're faithful to be here, you're going to grow, right? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, where do you hear the word of God? Well, when people gather together like this, they hear the word of God and then they grow. Their faith grows. Right? Not calculus. That's very simple. Right? That's a simple idea. And when you let people serve you and teach you God's word, you will naturally become stronger and more mature and more believing. That's what happens. So don't forsake that. And some of you guys are really sporadic in your attendance. And you let things get in the way of you being here on Sunday mornings. Or things get in the way of you being there on Tuesday nights. And you let things come up against you. And you find reasons to not attend. You're only hurting yourself, well, and us. Because we can't be unified but I mean, you're hurting your faith. Because you need people teaching you. And you need people serving you. You know, Pastor Sam always tells new people, uh, "This is what he, I've heard this over and over again. I've been ministering with people so long. He always tells new people that have come to the church, and he's like maybe meeting them for the first time. This is what he always says. He says, hey, just keep coming. Come for six months. If you just come for six months faithfully, you won't recognize yourself in six months from now. You won't even recognize yourself. And that's so true. That's so true. If you could just be faithful Sunday mornings, six months of Sunday mornings would blow your mind. You'll become a completely different person. And if you attend regularly, you will recognize that people of all levels, of all spiritual maturity are doing what? They're serving one another. Like your level of spiritual maturity, your serving isn't contingent on where you fit within that spiritual you know, pie chart or whatever. Everyone's serving one another. Weak believers, older believers, mature, everybody's serving one another. And the local church looks like you being a part of that. You too should be serving. You just jump in. Find a place. It's important. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, and, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, So we all come in in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's nothing, this is gifting. We're talking about gifting here. Everyone who calls himself Christian is gifted in a particular way. And without your gifting, participating and serving the body, we're all missing something. We're all missing something. Because your gifting, even in your weakness and even in your immaturity, is crucial to giving back to the church what you're getting. So here's the discipleship principle. Discipleship principle, how do you know when your your disciple is established in a local church? How do you know that? Okay, well, they're physically here. Okay, well, yeah, attendance. Okay, now listen, here's here's a key point. You ready? This is the principle. To be established in the local church is to consistently benefit from being poured into. Okay, so that's that first part. They need to be there for that, don't they? To to be established in the local church is to to consistently benefit from being poured into while benefiting from consistently pouring into others. If you're not serving as well, you're only getting half the benefit. If you're not pouring into other people the way you're being poured into, you're only getting half the benefit if you're not serving and participating and being fitly joined together with this local church, then it's great that you're coming. But it's not sufficient for the mission. And so we measure whether or not you're successfully a part of the local church, not just by your consistent attendance, but also your consistency to invest in other people and serve as well. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is how we'll close. You can come up. We're going to do worship. We're going to worship. And if you need to hurry and get out of here, that's cool. We need people to clean up chairs. All Listen. Everyone in here, I don't care where you're at, if you recognize that there's, a, there's some weakness in, 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 what, in those four goals established in your life, we've talked about three now. If there's a weakness in your four goals, you need to pray with someone about it today. You need to repent. You need to get things right. You need to be focused. Because we cannot, we're only as strong, we're only as strong as all of us participate. And so, if there's a weak link in your life, and maybe you've neglected something along the way, Kaya is weakened because of your weakness or your wickedness. So we need to get that right. We need to be unified in terms of the way that we are established. And so, if there's an area of weakness, let's address that in prayer today. Some of you are questioning discipleship. You want to be a disciple. You want to be a You want someone teaching you the word of God. Well, you need to talk to someone about that. You need to talk to someone about that. Some of you right now need to repent. And sign up for D2 during this time of worship. Sign, sit where you're at and sign up for D2 or sign up for LFI right now. Because you procrastinated and now it's time. So you need to take this time to repent and sign up where you sit. I love you. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship. And if you need to do something, do it. Okay? The Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for Kaya. Um, it's amazing. I'm, I'm coming up on a year in this ministry, God. And I'm, I'm so much more grateful now for what I have in these people than when I started and it, like, was exciting and new. I'm, I'm more excited now than I was then. And, uh, and, God, you're doing something. Uh, God, we had three salvations last week. Uh, we had three people, friends, come to a saving knowledge of you, pray in repentance and call upon you as their Savior. And now, God, we're obligated to train those people and to teach them the words of, your, of, of Scripture and to, to, to teach them how to obey Jesus Christ. Help us to do that rightly. God, we're ready for a harvest. God, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm proclaiming, God. You've prepared us for a harvest. God, we are ready for a harvest. We've got, we've got 20, 25 of us who are ready to disciple and have no one to disciple. God, bring us a harvest this, this semester. Bring people into this congregation that we might fitly join them to this body. and We might establish in them the four goals of discipleship, the things that you've taught us from the very beginning, who to be and what to do. We need you. We need your help, God. Make us, make Kaya devoted not to just evangelism but to discipling others that we might have power under the umbrella of the godhead we might we might be we might be living life on the edge the way your first generations disciples did your first generation church did we want to live like they lived in terms of their commitment to you teach us how to do that in your son's name amen